is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to another episode of FUVFC, WFUV's only soccer podcast. Nick Guzman here alongside Chris Carino and Andy Rodriguez. Guys, summertime means a lot of WFUV podcasts have to stop. It does not mean the FUV FC slows down whatsoever. We've got all kinds of transfer news to get into, a little bit of CONCACAF gold stuff to talk about as well. First of all, how are you guys doing? Chris, I'll start with you. I'm good. Uh, this is kind of a point in at least, you know, our world in the soccer world where it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a lull, you know, obviously um, things with great significance, different competitions with great significance are kind of culminating and we're kind of starting a brand new season kind of just over the horizon. Obviously uh, in a couple of weeks, it'll be the time where all of our favorite teams come to our seas to play a couple of games. Uh, I know my blues will be in Philadelphia um, but international time, it's, a, you know, it's always exciting in the summertime when it comes to the international stage. And yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's an interesting time of just, you know, a lot of different things going on. Obviously, the transfer window across the pond is, you know, very interesting. And just that landscape has kind of uh, been kind of unfolding. And yeah, it's just an interesting time. And I'm uh, excited to talk some footy. I'm excited as well. You know, he said it's a bit of a lull usually over summer. But sometimes transfers, like the transfers are so wild that in my opinion, it can be like even more exciting than the season, you know, if the season's a bit of a lull. And I think this transfer season might just be that. There's we've seen a lot of movement all around. As a Madrid fan, I'm excited. Maybe Mbappe finally makes the move. Uh, we never know. It's a lot of a lot of like um rumors going around, but I'm excited for what is gonna happen in the next couple of months. And yeah, let's just I'm ready to get into it. And before we get into all the exciting transfer news, we have obligations as residents of the United States of America to talk about the CONCACAF Gold Cup. And it's a competition that is, it's it's an interesting one. That's a good way to put it, considering the United States probably has their B to B minus team at the tournament, but they've played two group stage games now, the USMNT, most recently against St. Kitts and Navis, an island nation in the Caribbean of 47,000 people. And we trounced them 6-0. Could have been a lot more than 6 nil. I think if you're going to give an award to the player who torments tiny island countries the most, Jesus Ferreira gets that award. That man turns into Cristiano Ronaldo when it's time to play a minnow of CONCACAF. But I think it's it's hard to draw any sort of conclusions from the Gold Cup right now, considering the squad the U.S. have. You know, B.J. Callahan is still involved. But I'm curious, you know, what you guys have made of the U.S.'s performance so far in this tournament. and. In a, in a situation where there's no Christian Pulisic, no Eunice Musa, no Weston McKenney, none of those guys, what do you look for when you're watching the U.S. play? And I'll start with you, Chris. 
Uh, I kind of call these Jesus Ferreira games because it's funny you say that because it, it does seem like he's the kind of guy with the most, well, just credibility on these teams usually, especially these kind of like B-minus teams, how you kind of correctly uh, summed it up there. And it does feel like these kind of are just exhibitions for him to kind of build up hype for himself. And I, I don't see a ton of United States significance, obviously, because it's not a ton of guys who are going to, you know, play meaningful minutes for, you know, in meaningful competition that we care about necessarily. But it's more just when you kind of look at the success and even just um, kind of the activity in these smaller competitions, it's more of just what it says about the entire federation and kind of just what it says about how they go about their business and how they do everything. So there's definitely um, implication there. It's definitely not um, no significance whatsoever. Um, but yeah, Jesus Ferreira game just kind of be kind of be how I would best um, describe it and not a ton of significance for the U.S. team, but maybe more significance if you look at it from a bigger umbrella, of just the whole federation. Yeah, I kind of disagree with that. I think there's a bit of significance, more than most people will probably see, because the U.S. is in a moment of transition, you know, both the A team and the B minus team that Nick dubbed it. You know, obviously, we got Bear Halter returning. And while most people wouldn't care, like, oh, it's the Gold Cup, we're not even using our main squad, like, why would we even watch this? What's a good indicator of, like, the squad depth, if it is there or not? You know, we saw in the Nations League, uh, Dest and McKinney got the red card. We had Adams injured. And so looking at the B team, you can kind of get an idea. It's like, if these guys were to get injured or red cards, who can we rely on? You know, and Ferreira obviously showing up. Um, surprisingly, he didn't show up that much against Jamaica, though. So there's still some issues there, maybe. I think he could make the move to the A team if they needed it. And yeah, I think it's just a good way to know if there's enough squad depth moving forward with this team. Uh, I was impressed with some players like Mihailovic. I thought he played great both games. When he got subbed in versus Jamaica, he made an impact. Then two goals and two assists versus St. Kitts. So, yeah, a bit more importance, not too important still, but it's it's nice to see, like, the whole squad, not just the A team for once. I think there's, you know, there's squad depth and then there's squad depth, which is kind of what we're looking at right now. Like to me, squad depth is is Luca De La Torre coming on when Weston McKennie or Yunus Musa get injured. And this is like a tier below that. But it's still important because if you look at someone like France, you look at England, you know, five, six, you know, players deep at each position could come in and make an impact for the national team. The U.S. men's national team is not in that sort of position right now. And they probably won't be for for a little while. But it is nice to see guys who don't necessarily get a lot of looks at the national team level. You know, I'm a big Red Bulls guy. So seeing someone like John Tolkien get some minutes at the gold cup is always exciting, but you know, in terms of, of, of what you can take away from this, there are depth positions to be, you know, to be had someone like Kate Cowell, who had a great showing at the U 20 world cup being continued at the gold cup. Then that's potentially a guy who could break into, you know, the, the first 23 for this men's national team, but they've got Trinidad and Tobago coming up on Sunday night, uh, a win, you know, they're not necessarily guaranteed, first place because Jamaica also has to play St. Kitts and Nevis and it comes, it'll come down to most likely a goal differential conversation, but soon enough we'll be in the knockout stages and soon enough we'll have some knockout football to talk about involving this U.S. men's national team, but over to Europe where there has been a flurry of transfers regarding, you know, Premier League clubs. Every club in Europe has been active so far. The transfer window doesn't officially open until July 1st. But I think 
we'll start in England when we go through these transfers. And the first one I want to go to is one that isn't necessarily confirmed yet, although all signs point to it being done, you know, within a matter of hours or days. It was between Arsenal, it was between Manchester City in a race to sign Declan Rice. And it seems as though Arsenal have won that race. Man City have pulled out, and it seems like Arsenal are getting the CDM that they so desired. And, you know, the price is going to be over $100 million. It's going to be a lot. And it's kind of brought up a, an interesting debate about the English tax and is, is Declan Rice worth that much money? Is he one of the best defensive midfielders in the world? I think, you know, even if you don't think he's worth $100 plus million, I think there really can't be any argument that Declan Rice is a quality, quality player and he's going to improve that Arsenal team. Um, yeah, it's interesting kind of the landscape at the top of the table, at least in England right now, because it seems like obviously Manchester City is kind of sitting on the throne and they seem to be kind of the the standard and the pinnacle of English football in general. And Pep is obviously the spearheader of that. But it feels like obviously and it's it's, it's extremely obvious when you just kind of look at <clears throat> their configuration and how they're coaching everything like that you know arsenal is trying to do with man city you know it does and it does seem like at least just from how it's looking right now that it's gonna kind of be like they're gonna be going after the same players because they're you know their styles are so similar and the formations and just the tactics and it's also similar so that at the top of you know world football you're gonna see them kind of going after very similar players of you know high level stature um it's not that declan rice is like the best um defensive mid prospect in the world right now and that's why two of the best teams in the world are going after him it's two of the best teams in the world have you know similar needs for you know their different teams and this guy fits them and that's why they're kind of getting bid on by both of them and it kind of inflates maybe um how good of a player uh rice is in the public eye which he is a great player but i think it's more along the lines of that arsenal man city are just building in a very similar way and you know their cross their paths are going to cross you know just um randomly and just obviously um and you know you even saw that we could even get into a little bit because the Havertz stuff the Havertz deal was kind of tiny but you could even see it there like that's a strict kind of move that they kind of they want him to play that Bernardo Silva role they just do and that's kind of what he's going to play in that offense similar to what Granite Jacket did last year um so you could just see just from the even the little signings to the big signings just how similar these teams are and just uh what Mikel Arteta from that uh coaching tree of Pep um, is trying to do there and uh, with that success. It's an interesting point that they are similar teams, you know, they are looking for similar players. And I can't but wonder, like, if you're one of these players, like if you're Declan Rice, which one do you go to, right? Obviously, most people would say City's a no-brainer. They've been dominating for so long and you could get to win lots of trophies with them. But as Nick mentioned before, when we talk about the U.S. team, there's squad depth and then there's squad depth and yeah. city's just stacked already. And so these players, when they have to make that decision, obviously they, what they want to do is play. And you're going to wonder if they will get those minutes in a squad like Manchester City, which is just stacked from top to bottom, I, so many players. I was I was thinking that as well. I almost there's almost a part of me that thinks that Pep just did it to hike up their price and make them have to pay more because I mean, it almost feels Rodri, like you. Who's- Probably yeah. the best defensive midfielder in the world. Like you're and not you have Rodri Declan Rice double pivot. That's not going to happen. You already have an English protege to him and Calvin Phillips. It just it seems it's just confusing. It almost just seems like their defensive midfield room is so full already that they literally just did this to hike up the price. And it also just from you know the other way, kind of playing devil's advocate as a Chelsea fan here. 
I think 105 is like fine. Like, I don't think that's an overpay for Declan Rice. I mean, I don't know if you can name seven uh, defensive midfielders in the world better than him. And I think that's a, that's a testament to just what his reputation has been through the last, you know, two years, but specifically this year with that European success at West Ham, which has been so far in between there. Um, and yeah, I just, I think 105 isn't an overpay. I think it's, you know, right where it needs to be. And it puts them in a great position to really compete with Man City, maybe for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah. 105 seems like a lot on paper, but it's just kind of the nature of, modern soccer and yeah. transfers and if you want a player like Declan Rice you know you mentioned you know top seven defensive midfielders in the world I'd say top five maybe even yeah. top top four top three is getting up there and I think people like to make a bigger deal out of you know him being English and that's the fact that you know his price has been hiked up so much he's a quality quality defensive midfielder you know he's been playing in that West Ham first team since he was 18 years old yeah he's taken over the captaincy for Mark Noble and he led them to a European trophy being like you know, the main person in that team. And I think if he went to Man City, that would have been a mistake because how do you, how do you play both him and Rodri in the same team? You don't, you know, it's, it would, he'd be sitting on the bench, but with Arsenal, he's going to be sort of the, the anchor in that midfield for years and years to come. And I think you mentioned Kai Havertz, that move as well. I think it flew under the radar because Kai Havertz is someone at Chelsea who always seemed like he was just on the verge of breaking out. And no, no one really knows what his best position is. Chelsea have played him up front. It's definitely not that. I think Moore as a second striker has been uh, sort of the, the the best role for Kai Havertz. But, you know, he scored that goal in the Champions League final in 2021. And, and since then, it's just kind of been up and down. But he's been picked consistently for Chelsea. And it's clear the talent's there. He gets picked consistently for Germany as well, no matter what competition they're playing in. So I think Kai Havertz is another big boost to this Arsenal team. I don't know what you guys think. I the, the Kai Havertz deal, I think it's so smart on Arsenal's side, just kind of for what they're building, and especially kind of getting ahead of maybe the Jacka is kind of getting up there in age a little bit. You kind of need a guy in that kind of role that's going to be, you know, uh, produce a lot. Obviously, as a Chelsea fan, I kind of saw Kai firsthand. And, you know, Kai's a hell of a player, you know, as you were kind of uh, you know, touching on a little bit, like he gets picked in those Germany teams. Like he starts in like big prolific games. Like there's a reason for it. Obviously you kind of touched on also a little bit, the champions League final goal. I feel like that's, you know, it, that's always touched on at least once in a conversation when you kind of talk about Kai. Um, But yeah, he won us the champions league. Like I, like I'm not going to chirp his striking ability when the guy's striking ability is the reason we beat man city and, you know, held off that man city champions league drought for just a few more years until it was eventually broken um but yeah I, i'm not gonna chirp kai for any reason um i, I don't know why that's what I, I have more broad points about chelsea we can dive into a little in a little bit um but yeah i think it's just overall good business on arsenal and i don't think they're done either i think the Declan rice move shows their willingness um to you know make more moves and really get out there and you know crocky has been winning titles everywhere else so he's trying to maybe win one there as well um so yeah it's just an interesting time and really good business on arsenal side I thought it was a great signing. You know, they need that depth to compete with City. They almost beat them in the league title race this year, which I thought was really impressive. You know, obviously, they a lot of people say they bottled it. Maybe they did. But if they want to keep up again next year, they need to make these signings. And it might not look like a great signing, you know, Kai Havertz. I always thought he's a pretty decent player the last couple of years. So I think it, it works. What they need now is to sign just a few more. You know, I think they need a real striker. You know, someone to really like command like a number nine position there. 
Zaku's doing a, a great job there, but they, they just need that little edge to really score more goals, be a bit tighter on defense, but really now their midfield is seems pretty strong. I like the signing and I'm excited for Arsenal might be able to do not just next year, but for the years to come with this squad. I think there's one more Chelsea transfer that we can focus on specifically before we get into what on earth is going on at Chelsea football club right now. And that's the Mason Mount to Manchester United transfer because, you know, Mason Mount coming up through the Academy, that's a guy that you think is going to be Chelsea for life. And everything that he, he was saying coming up through the Academy. And when he got to the first team, you think, okay, this is our next, you know, you know, I know Frank Lampard came from West Ham, but it's our next, next, you know, Frank Lampard tight midfielder where he's going to eventually wear the captain's armband and be just a big, big presence in that midfielder on the wing or wherever you want to play him. And it seemed like his, his wage demands when he was negotiating a new contract, Chelsea didn't want to meet that. So he's off to Manchester United. And that, you know, of all the moves of Chelsea selling right now, I think the Mason Mount to Manchester United one is the most to me that signified that, okay, well, we're doing it. We're completely cleaning the house here at Chelsea because, you know, Mason Mount this past season, obviously not his best season. I think it was three goals, two assists in, in the Prem. The year before that, though, he was double digit in both in in Premier League play. He's a player that gets a lot of flack, um, but he's undoubtedly hardworking and managers like that as well. He gets picked for England too. And I think Mason Mount's a very polarizing player, but I think without a doubt, he's going to be valuable to Manchester United. I just think, you know, in my view, him leaving Chelsea just signifies something much greater for that's going on for Chelsea Football Club. But I think for Manchester United, Mason Mount, you know, he fills a need, but also you talk about Arsenal potentially needing a striker. Manchester United need a striker bad, and Mason Mount does not fill that hole, although he might be beneficial to that team. No, they're just gonna they're gonna roll out Weghorst next year. Gonna, we're gonna have a good time. Yeah, he scored two goals against Argentina. He's good. Yeah. Um. I don't know this. Uh. This whole Chelsea kind of situation is interesting, specifically with Mason. I I kind of feel similarly to I feel about Rice and Man City. It's just like that's a very crowded midfield room and a very crowded attacking midfield room. At that, I feel like you know Mason at his best and Mason kind of at the peak of his powers is a really good attacking center mid. And I feel like Bruno, he's kind of just he, at his best, he would just be what Bruno is. And I feel like that just isn't enough to take that guy on. It's weird. Um, I don't know. I feel like almost Liverpool was better fitted to Mason just because it's a little sparse in that midfield room because, you know, they're in a similar kind of era of changing of the guard that we are at Stanford Bridge. And it, it, it felt weird. It felt strange. I think just on the Chelsea side of the move, it's you know, we're changing eras. The owner is not the same uh, as when we won Champions League, which was only a couple years ago. The, uh, you know, the manager isn't the same. This is just an entire new generation that's going to kind of get spearheaded by that four horsemen of, you know, Mudrick, Enzo and Cuckoo and, you know, the best right back in the world, Reese James. And I it's just that's going to be the core four that kind of, you know, the rest of it's going to branch out from that but that's going to be the four guys that they put all their eggs into the basket of and that you know they're really going to uh come across as the core of this new regime with Pochettino at the head of it which I'm very excited for because he's the best we've seen a lot of movement with Chelsea but like most of the movement's out you know they lost yeah. Koulibaly Mendy's out Conte's out Kovacic is out you know all yeah, these players I, I, one more thing just before you like get into that I feel like 
I don't think any player is going to Saudi Arabia or the MLS with any more legacy to build in Europe. I think if you can build even a slight amount of legacy in Europe anymore, you're not going there yet. It's when you're done, you don't you can make an impact. I mean, the list the list you just named, it was Kudabali, Mendy, and Kovacic. Like, yeah, those guys were old in 2020. Like, I mean, obviously, Mendy's a different situation, and Kep has been great, so I'm not going to complain behind the sticks, in between the sticks, sorry. Um, but yeah, no, could have, those guys, I just, I don't, I don't think they're making an impact enough and I don't think it's like a loss for my, for the, you know, the blues you can go well, on Andy. Sorry. Yeah. I think they were crucial like years ago, like when yeah. they won the, the champions league, those are key players. Conte was top of the game, probably one of the best midfielders. I thought he was the best CDM that year. He was. Now he's just falling off completely, but the issue is not that like, yeah, the players fall off and you need to like get rid of them, but they need to start making signings, man. Like this Chelsea squad, if they can't land these signings while all the teams around them, you know, City, Arsenal, United are making those signings. If all their options are out, what are they going to do next season? Like, will they get relegated? There was a threat for that earlier this season. Obviously, they survived it a bit comfortably. But uh, I would like to see more, like more signings from them in order to make sure that they're safe in the Premier League this season. Maybe it's a slower buildup. You don't need to make all the signings in this transfer window, but they do need to make some moves to keep up and not get like left behind in the past. Yeah, I think I don't. I don't think there's any way Chelsea are going to get relegated. I I think, um, you know, you're they're in a situation where the only real way to move forward is to totally clean house. You know, you're you're talking your situation. The reports from the press you know, the end of last season that Chelsea had so many players in that dress room that they couldn't all, even all fit. So, you know, the only way you can move through generations is by shedding off dead weight, no matter what, you know, their legacy is with the club. And Golo Conte had some really, really great years. He struggled for, with injuries recently. And, you know, Saudi Arabia kind of seems like the appropriate move for him right now. And, you know, all the attacking players Chelsea have brought in in, in recent years, they're now offloading, whether it's Havertz or Ziyech or, or Pulisic. You know, at, at some point, you got to offload the dead weight. Yes, they need to make more signings. But I think in a transitional period for Chelsea, no matter what the emotional attachment is to somebody like Kai Havertz or Mason Mount, you got to kind of cut your losses and and move on. Because those guys were all a part of this team last year. And last year was probably the worst season in Chelsea's history in a long, long yeah. time. And, yeah. you know, no matter what emotional connection you have to those guys it's not acceptable what happened on the field last year and you got to move on you got to get younger and it's a challenging thing Chris I know Chelsea's beloved to your heart like how do you feel exactly about just sort of times are changing it's a it's a whole new era that's coming in and and the, the time of Aspilicueta and Conte and all those guys is well and truly totally over now yeah, it it I was I like that you kind of brought that up that it felt like almost a year ago today we were signing way too many guys. It kind of it the correlation I would make to it is why people ask why there's no urgency in the writer strike that's currently going on in Hollywood right now. It's a different world than it was in 2008. Now there's you know streaming platforms and people are saying there's almost too much new stuff out there. So now there's not not as much of an urgency to get this writer strike done because people are kind of living on the old stuff. That's kind of how I feel about this Chelsea regime in a lot of ways i feel like we were signing so many guys so many guys didn't even really get their shine i mean i watched wesley fofana play a great half 
against AC Milan in the Champions League at Stanford Bridge, score and then get hurt and not really be talked about or seen from the rest of the year. Like that's like that's I, I wouldn't be it wouldn't be crazy to argue at the top ten center back in the Prem. It's it wouldn't be wild to say when he's on his day, the top ten center back in the Premier League just kind of gets forgotten about. Even another signing like Connor Gallagher, a guy that we seemed that seemed to be an important signing at the time and a guy who was scoring goals. He had that great goal in that white and turquoise kit when Pulisic made the pass on the top of the box. That was pretty. Probably um, one of the best assists of all time. Yeah, that was, it was just all in all. That was kind of just a sign of how good he can be. And yeah, just little deals like that and um, little business like that, it kind of makes you feel like you have a lot less than you actually do. I mean, you look at a Chelsea roster, when you talk, you know, depth, we have a lot of depth. Um, so I think it's just it's a time of uh, it's a time of change uh, on, you know, on one on one side, you know, and Golo Conte is one of my favorite players ever. And, you know, um, it's sad to see him go so, somewhere like Saudi Arabia when he could have went somewhere like the MLS. Like that would have been cool to see him um, go there. It's going to be interesting to see which players go to which ones and kind of what that may say about them. You know, that's a whole other conversation to have. Um, but yeah, and I just we, we we could even just talk the rest, just Eden Hazard Chelsea rumors, because that's also fun. Um, because I know he's also looking for a move. We already talked a little about a little bit about Mbappe and Los Blancos, but that's another Los Blancos conspiracy that I'm a, a big believer of. What's the conspiracy exactly? Uh he's gonna come home and we're gonna live happily ever after and hopefully ride off into the sunset. What about his like angles no. that don't work anymore? I didn't know. Was uh, since when does he have to play? He has. You could just stand there. He's Eden Hazard. But like, what are we even talking about? Turn on twenty fifteen highlights. It's literally messy. <laughs> like what? <laughs> um. But yeah, that's just. It's it, it's kind of gonna be. That's kind of what it is. The other way on the Saudi Arabia side, it's all nostalgia. Guys like Kudabali and Conte are perfect for that kind of nostalgia niche that they're trying to feed out there. And Chelsea just as a brand kind of fits that well. So you might see kind of a feeding system of uh, teams like Chelsea um, going to Saudi Arabia, teams like Man City going to Saudi Arabia, just kind of these guys, the end of their line, but it's just an exciting time. Reminds me of, you know, my other team, the Nets and kind of the time they're in it's time of rebuild. It's time of young talent and it's time of, you know, endless possibilities. And so, yeah, I'm excited for the future. And I think, you know, my final thing on Chelsea is that if you look at if Manchester City is the pinnacle, right? And that's that's what everybody's trying to be, and that's where you're trying to get to to try to win win the Premier League title and compete with them. That this sort of changing of the guard is 100 percent and completely necessary. There's no way that with the other players or with the old regime that you could sort of do a half rebuild. You know, rebuilds aren't really a thing in, in soccer as much as they are in 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 American sports. Um but this feels like kind of a rebuild and it's it's a hundred percent necessary. You gotta, you gotta shed dead weight if you want to eventually take your place again uh, at the top of the the premier league, which is what Chelsea feel like they deserve as a football club. And they've underperformed recently and doing all that is kind of necessary to try to even make an attempt to challenge Man City. You know, you talk about all these teams making moves and Man City are still up on, on that perch sort of just observing everyone but it's a definitely interesting time for Chelsea. And I think that's a good segue to talk about, you know, Chelsea offloading players, a lot of them going to Saudi Arabia. And, you know, Edward Mendy going to Saudi Arabia, Koulibaly, Ziyech isn't quite confirmed yet, but I think that seems like the likely destination is that where that's where he's going to go. You know, it feels a, the mass exodus of players to Saudi Arabia, Kareem Benzema also, feels a little bit like, you know, 2015, 2016 when, a lot of European players moved to the Chinese Super League 
I think this is a little bit more big of a deal because then it was players like um, like Oscar and Paulinho and Anderson Talisca, Anderson Talisca, guys oh, yeah. who had great shout, guys who had especially Oscar. That 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 still breaks my heart. That's oh, still that's dude. still. Well, I mean, he what was a the man. He and was I, actually yeah, the man. And you haven't seen him since. You literally no. haven't heard from him since. But there's like half a billion dollars in his bank account. So really, who's laughing? If we're all really honest. I know. And to me, that this Saudi Arabia thing feels a little bit like more of a big deal, just based on the the caliber of players going. Oscar's a baller. We all know Oscar's a baller. But you know, Kareem Benzema. Yes, he's older, but if he signed for any team in Europe, he's still giving you you know. 15 to 20 goals, the absolute minimum. Um, so it's, it feels like a bigger deal. And then there's some guys who aren't necessarily up there in age. Ruben Neves is, is going to Saudi Arabia. That's a guy who is a, a staple in that Wolves midfield for years. They were in the Europa League a few years ago. And sure, they've kind of stagnated. But it, it feels like, I think, a bigger deal than China, but also not as big of a deal as maybe some people are making it out to be. I think anytime there's money on the table – players are going to are going to move to that money and i i like the point that you made earlier chris about you know guys who are most of the guys who are going to saudi arabia are guys who have done what they've done in europe and kind of you can put a bookend on it and now you can cash out your paycheck so that's kind of the way i'm i'm looking at it. i don't know if you guys feel the same that you know it's it's a big deal but also it's mainly guys who are past it and and are just kind of looking to cash in I mean, yeah, I, I feel like this is this is this kind of idea has been around for a very long time. I mean, I think it was kind of pioneered by Pele when he came to play for the Cosmos, like 100 percent, just kind of that mold of um kind of getting your bag after your you know best years are done. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's an interesting kind of dichotomy because you're right. There's almost more severity to the situation because, you know, with the Chinese league a few years back, I remember like the first guy I remember was like Hulk. It went from like guys like Hulk to just like Ronaldo was going to play for Al Sad tier or whatever the um, name is of it. And it does feel like the level of urgency has almost gone up and because, you know, the level of player has gone up that's going over there. But then you also have to set your mind to where would these players all be if they're not in Saudi Arabia? It's like Ronaldo can't play. Ronaldo can't start for a single Champions League team. That's just a fact. Like he can't start in a Champions League game and play the game that he wants to play and be successful. It's been proven if anybody watched his last 10 or so games at Man United. But I think that's more the conversation people need to have if they're going to think it's an issue or have concerns about it. It's like, where do you think N'Golo Kante and Kudabali are going to be producing if not Saudi Arabia? Like, I just don't know where these guys' impacts are going to be felt if they're not going to Saudi Arabia or going somewhere to make the money. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of where my mind kind of casts when this kind of conversation gets brought up and this kind of gets talked about. Um, I don't agree completely with all of that. I think most of them, yeah, definitely end of their careers. They're not going to offer anything in Europe. They got to go get that bag in Saudi Arabia. But, you know, I think Benzema could still play some European soccer. Not top of the world you know he won the Definitely. ballon d'or two he was the best player of the world two years ago like of course yeah of course he could have stayed there and so him making a move to Saudi Arabia I think is a bit of a big deal is definitely bigger than what China tried to do and I think we will start seeing that trend of more like younger players move there right now it's very early you know it all started last year with Ronaldo going there and I think what's worrying is not like you know people say don't worry about it it's not gonna like take off like that easily not everyone's going to go to Saudi Arabia and I agree 
but it's definitely faster than what most people were expecting. I was not expecting this many transfers from Europe to Saudi Arabia in one transfer season, one year after Ronaldo did it, and now so many rumors about it. Uh, I think Zich through that you mentioned, Nick, I think it fell through is what I read earlier today. But still, there's still so many possibilities of players going there. Ruben Neves was interesting. And Benzema, I think, is the biggest name there that he definitely could have stayed in Europe and he made that move. And I don't know. I just feel like over the next couple of years, if they keep this up, I don't know where they're getting that money, but if they keep this up, signing all these players, we will see younger and younger players moving there and they will become more competitive. Also, I feel like Benzema almost does feed into my point I was making. He's done everything. There's nothing more for him to conquer. There's no legacy for him to build anymore. He won the World Cup. Um, actually, well, was he on that France no. team? Like he wasn't, no, right? He was not. Like if we're gonna, like yeah. But also, twenty twenty by twenty twenty six, he's not gonna like he's not internationally. He's not thinking about it. He never really was thinking about France. Um, I actually more think of him in like those white and dark blue jerseys, like that twenty fourteen era. That's more more yeah. where I think of Benzema France. Um, but like just when you play at Real Madrid with that level of success, I think it can feel like what do I do? Like was he gonna go play in the Prem? Like no. I think it does feed almost exactly into my point where it's like, I mean, Benzema is probably the best player to go there for sure. But I think he feeds into that point of like, I don't really have anything more to do. I'm going to get my bag now. And honestly, I just think the, the, the living and just like the mental of it all, just it gets way easier when you go over there. And I, I don't blame any of these guys at all, especially after this whole live golf situation. I don't blame anyone. And I think the the big thing is that, you know, the, the players accepting these deals right now, are the guys who are kind of over the peak and, and past it but to andy's point you know they've been offering deals to younger guys you yeah know? that's People like wilfred zaha you know roberto firmino's supposedly been in talks bernardo silva that's the stunning one if yeah i don't think that's gonna happen because if bernardo silva goes he's 26 years old probably somewhere around there and just was a key part of a treble winning team so i think it's clear that saudi arabia don't just want it to be um older players who are past their prime they're targeting younger guys and guys yeah. who still have something left to give it's just right now i think the appeal isn't quite there for the players to make the move because they they feel like they still have something to give in europe and maybe the saudi arabian league isn't quite there yet but who knows maybe in three or four years more and more players keep going i could totally see a situation where the age of these guys going to saudi arabia gets younger and younger which you know, anybody who's a fan of European soccer won't necessarily like the sound of that, but you know, it's the way sports move. We saw with live with live golf where the money is, that's where the players go. And the Chinese super league was kind of a failure. You know, they've had all kinds of financial struggles since they threw all the money at Oscar and Hulk and Paulinho, but the Saudi Arabian league seems like it's going to be different. It's going to be something that's here to stay. And I think that's kind of just something that European fans have to sort of come to reckoning with. Yeah, I think it's definitely here to stay. And to what Chris said, yeah, these guys, what else do they have to accomplish? A lot of them go in there. They've done what they wanted to do. Benzema, Ballon d'Or, Champions League. But Bernardo Silva, as I said, really young. would be shocking if he made the move. I don't think it's going to happen. But just the possibility of them going there, like he already, he could be satisfied already with his career. We don't know that. Like he's won the Champions League, the league so many times. Like he's won pretty much whatever there is left at the club level. And so we've seen so many, or at least I've seen so many headlines of these young players, like completing football at like 22. So if they are satisfied with what they did with their careers already at a younger age, 
and we could see them move into Saudi Arabia at a younger age as well. Will it become a top five league? Heck no. No, that's, I don't see that happening at all. But I do see more and more players go in there. It's like, I, you can't blame them for going for the money. It's a lot of money, life-changing. And most people will probably do that in their position. And so I think we will see that stay, like Saudi Arabia getting players over the next couple of years. It won't be a top league, but it'll definitely get way better than it is now. And I think it is a game changer. I just, we really don't know the potential as to what this could do to the sport over the next decade. We've got about four minutes left here. Do we want to do a speed run of Sergio Busquets to Inter-Miami? We could. Let's do a speed run. Okay, Busquets is going to Inter-Miami and on a designated player contract where if you don't, you're not a guy, person who follows MLS, rosters are weird, contracts are weird. That essentially means he's taking up one of the, it might be three or four slots, maybe two or three of top tier echelon players that you can pay a lot of money towards. So Busquets and Messi are going to be playing together. Uh, Tata Martino is now going to be the manager of Inter Miami. I think, you know, in my personal opinion, love Sergio Busquets. People underrate MLS saying he's going to boss MLS. He's slow and on a designated player contract. I don't know how that's going to work out for Inter Miami, but I just want to get your guys' thoughts on the move real quick. Chris, I'll start with you. I'm kind of on the opposite side. I feel like maybe Sergio might be the most underrated midfielder of the generation. Like the guy is just like, just unbelievable. And I feel like in the MLS, you're going to see, like, that's going to be what it is. You're going to just see how good Sergio is when he's in the MLS surrounded by, you know, not Real Madrid. Like it's going to be very interesting to see. And like, who else is going to pass Messi the ball at the halfway line for him to go score from the half? Like someone has to like pass the ball into play. Um, he can't do everything alone. Um, that was kind of always the running joke that Sergio Busquez assist uh, when you pass to a guy in the halfway line and then you score from half and you do basically nothing, but you get the assist. Uh, he kind of fell into that joke for a long time, but didn't deserve it. Extremely underrated. Um, and definitely kind of a guy that would kind of fit the MLS style. I think, you know, finesse passing and just attention to detail. Those are different things that um, can, you know, mesh really well with that MLS style and, you know, just be really effective in that MLS style. Yeah, I completely agree. Heavily underrated player. And you know I mean that when I'm a Madrid fan and I say Busquets is one of the best midfielders I've seen. Um, like, he's just so smart. Yeah, he is slower, but he was always slow in my opinion. It didn't really stop him from doing anything. It's his passing, his vision, his understanding of the game. Guardiola's praised it so many times. I think he's completely right with that. And I'm not actually sure about the MLS style. Like, yes, he fits in with those key passes, but also it's a really more, the way I see it, it's really high intensity, more pressure. And while he is a genius and we've seen him succeed in Europe, I wonder how he'll handle that much like faster paced soccer here in the MLS. I think he'll do fine. I don't think he'll be like player of the team, like, or of the season, team of the season, whatever. But I think he'll be a good fit. Could help Messi and bring the team back to not the bottom of the table. And yeah, excited to see what happens in the MLS. Yeah, I know it sounds stupid that the, the American guy saying that Sergio Busquets isn't going to be good on a designated player contract in MLS. Obviously, he's a great midfielder and he's awesome and he does all that. I just think the way MLS rosters are constructed using a designated player on an aging CDM who is ne- who I just don't think it's necessarily going to work out the way people think. Good, good thing you guys don't have any time to rebut that opinion. Um, because we're out of time on this episode. This has been another episode of FUVFC. 
We'll be back again next week, probably some more Gold Cup talk, and these transfers are going to keep on rolling in throughout the summer. So we'll be back at it with another episode. Nick Guzman here alongside Chris Carino and Andy Rodriguez. FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports. Mm-hmm.